Um, we're starting something new this year, and it's going to go on for years. If Jesus tarries, um, it's called The Story. So one Sunday a month, we're going to work through the Bible. So we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to go all the way through the end. So one Sunday a month, we'll have that series, The Story, one of those sermons. And it will take us years <laughs> doing it once a month. But the cool thing is this. So if you go to the podcast and you look up sermons, if you look up the story, somebody who comes later can start in Genesis hearing the story from the beginning because they can go to the podcast and pick those first sermons, right? How many of you know, like when you came to the Lord, if you were an adult and you didn't grow up in Sunday school, um, the Bible seems overwhelming. How do you even start? So we'll have an archived really kind of guide throughout the major, you know, epochs there in the Bible. So that's going to be September 29th is the first one. September 29th is the story. So that'll be fun. The beginning of something that we'll be in together for a while. All right. How are you doing? Summer's over. Um, because it means we get to be together again. I know we're still missing a few folks here and there. Uh, if there's a good weekend, we might miss someone on the lake. But I, I just, it feels like all summer, it feels like, oh, we're always missing half the family. It's like a Thanksgiving where nobody could show up because there was a snowstorm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a bummer. Like, even the students are back. We've missed you guys all summer long. Yeah. So, I, I know. I like the sun, but I, I like the family. So, I'm kind of excited. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about, though, in the summer, I say all that to say, um, in the summer, because of vacations and things, you miss stuff. So let me just bring us all together. Uh, we've been talking about what it means to say more Lord. What does it mean to say more Lord? So if you experience God's presence, um, how many of you ever powerfully experienced his presence and you're like, I don't know what this is, but this is amazing, um, powerful, um, your first response is you to say more Lord. Like, this is great. I think this is what we were made for, to be in his presence. Look, this is great. More, Lord. What does it mean to say more, Lord? And then how do we actually, how do we actually increase our capacity for the presence of God? And we talked through several things, but really partnering with him is how you increase your capacity. Right? So what is the Father doing? Partner with him in what he's doing, and you will increase your capacity for him. So if you think about it, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, and it's like, it was like tongues of fire, the building shook. It was like this powerful move of God. The first thing they did was leave the room to tell people about it. Right? They partnered with him in spreading um, the news of what he was doing. Sometimes, because we are, we are very consumer in our mindset, we experience cool things in God, and we're like, how do I get more for me? Are you with me? Okay, so it just got really quiet. So this isn't the hard part yet. So here, here we go. So we, want to th we need to partner with him. That's how you get more. My children are becoming more like us the older they get. The more they walk alongside us, the more they learn how to do the things that we do, they're becoming more like us. The only way they could do that was to keep living in our house <laughs> and to keep learning new things. Now, every time we bring them up a level, 
Like, hey, we think you can do your own laundry now. We think you can do your own dishes now, right? Every time we come up a level, sometimes it's painful for everybody, <laughs> right? But the only way for them to become more like us and to have our heart is to actually partner with us. Are you with me? So we're looking for how do we partner with God out of a heart to really increase our capacity to have more of him. And so we've talked through several ways to do that. But one of the primary ways we do that is we share our faith. And here's why. Luke chapter 15 says this. If you want the heart of the Father, if you want to partner with him, you want to know what his heart is like, Luke 15 gives us a good idea. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's a fun crowd, right? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners would come. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So on this particular day, on one side of the room are the tax collectors, notorious sinners, prostitutes. The other side of the room are the religious people. Listen, sometimes this room gets quiet, but I've never had a room that hard. That's a hard room. That's a hard room. And here's what he said. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What's the heart of the Father? Does he love the 99 who are safely in the pen? Absolutely. But what's his heart beating for, the one who isn't there yet? You want the heart of the Father, that gives you a pretty good window. Who doesn't know him yet? Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Interesting. And later on, he, exp he expounds on this and says, the harvest are souls brought into the kingdom. So he's saying, listen, the fields are ripe for harvest. What's the problem that people don't want Jesus? Mm -mm. What's the problem in this story? The fields are ripe for harvest. There aren't enough laborers in the field telling them. And what prompts him to say this? He's going from city to city, village to village, and he looks at all these people who are far from God, and he sees how they're harassed. Harassed by spiritual forces, harassed by just the fallenness of this world, and how difficult it is, and he has compassion for them. Now, in this room, I would assume that people vote for lots of different people. 
in elections, right? People with R in front of their name, people with D in front of their name, people with I in front of their name, maybe people with G in front of their name. Who knows? But I assume probably a lot of different people. So right now in the political world, things are very polarized. People have a lot of hate for people that don't think just like they do or see it how they do. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine the political person or group that you really dislike the most right now. Got them in your head? Don't say it out loud. Got them in your head? People who you think you are ruining everything. And if you have power, it's going to ruin the country. Or you have power and you're ruining the country, whatever it is. You got that, you got that group, you got that person you think is ruining it all? Now imagine this. those people who maybe are doing destructive things, they are harassed, they are without light, and the Father's heart is that you would be someone who would extend his grace and show his glory that they too could come in the fold. The verse that, um, that Mitch read this morning, rejoice when people despitefully use you because of my sake, persecute you because of my sake. Right? Because when you respond with the Father's heart, people are shocked. People are, when you can trust him to take care of you, so you're not having to fight for number one all the time, shocking to people, and it reveals his glory. Luke, chapter 10. Jesus again reiterates this idea of the harvest field. It says this, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. So how are you going to be received sometimes? <laughs> when you reveal the glory of God to people, when you extend his grace? Is everyone going to be like, Yahoo! I would wait, what must I do to be saved? Just tell me. He's sending us out, revealing his glory, healing the sick, raising the dead. He sent them out to reveal his glory, and he said, listen, you're, sending, you're getting sent out lambs among wolves. And this is important for us to realize because sometimes when we're like, I feel like God's really telling me to share with this person or pray with this person or reach out. You can just feel he's one. How have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit's like, can I just touch that person through you? Can you just, just get out of the way because I want to talk to that person. You ever feel that? Like the Holy Spirit, you can just feel like he's, me and Ben have felt that. <laughs> How have you felt that? You felt like God wanted to do something in a situation. You were the person there representing him to do it right. Okay, so hopefully it's more than that. But here we go, okay. We're going to assume all of us kind of know what I'm talking about. Okay. Sometimes in that situation, you kind of feel like, I think this is God. Have you ever been surprised by the person's response? Because they weren't like joyfully receiving. Um, and what do we tend to think? Man, that must not have been the Holy Spirit. I must have gotten that wrong. Maybe not. Maybe I'm sending out lambs among wolves. If you feel like, well, that was like 
people who were following Jesus got sent out. First he sent his 12, then the 72. Those were like high-functioning leaders. These were like super important people. Listen, he sent out Judas. <laughs> and Judas healed the sick and raised the dead. Come on. If Judas can do it, you can do it. <laughs> if he will empower Judas to do it, he will empower you to do it. Come on. Reasons why we disqualify ourselves. But that's the heart of the Father. He's looking for those who don't know him yet. Second Peter 3 tells us he is willing that none should perish. That is his heart. That none would perish, but all would come to saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his heart. So if we're saying more, Lord, we need to have his heart and operate like he operates. I want to tell you a story. It's a story from Wyoming. I told it before, a few years ago, and um, it's my uncle's story. I think he's told it here too, so you may have heard it. So you can just be like, oh yeah, I know that part and that part, great. My mom and her brother grew up in Wyoming. They were homesteaders out in Wyoming. So it was like, here's open land, <laughs> go farm it, right? <laughs> That's what you do when you homestead. So my uncle tells this story of when he was 16 and it was harvest time. And my grandpa was like a World War II bomber pilot. You know what I'm saying? World War II dad. Um, so he didn't talk back. <laughs> In that generation, <laughs> you never talk back to your World War II bomber pilot dad, right? So it was Friday night. They'd been at the harvest, right, for like two weeks now. Um, working day, night, day, night. But it's Friday night. Was it the, this is the first week of the harvest. It was Friday night, and so he thought, well, my dad knows that on Friday, all my friends get together at the A&W, right? There's like a block of buildings in town in Powell, Wyoming. <laughs> Powell, Wyoming, by the way, is the neighbor city to Cody, Wyoming, the new home of the Kardashian Wests. Who knows what's going to happen in Powell, Wyoming? Anyway, but Powell, Wyoming, so that's where they, that's where they were raised. And so it's Friday night, and the town is like a block long, and he's like, it's time to go into town at 5. You got to get dressed. You got to get fixed up, got to drive your car into town and park it at the A&W and watch people drive their car one block up and down. And that's what they did on Friday night. But everyone went and did it. It's a cool thing to do when you're 16 years old. So it gives me about 4.30 or so. And he's thinking, I probably should shower. I probably should um, I wonder if my dad's going to say anything. I've been working hard all week long, really late all week long, but it's Friday. And then 5 o'clock came. And then 6 o'clock came. And he's thinking, people are probably already starting to gather, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. 7 o'clock came. Still isn't showered. His father shows no sign of stopping the combine, right? Still going. 7.38, his dad lets the hired hands go home. And now my uncle is fuming. Even the high, he lets the hired hands go home, and even his own son. He makes me stay. I'm his son, and he makes me stay when all my friends are gathered. And surely he knows this. And so when his dad would drive the the machinery this way where he couldn't see me, he'd throw his hat in the ground and stomp and stuff and then put it all back on when his dad came back this way, right? Mm-hmm. Till finally, it was like way past sundown. It was like, and sundown in the summer in Wyoming is late, right? It's like 10.30 at night. 10, 10, it's dark. And by this time, he can't even handle himself. So finally, my grandpa says, it's time to, we'll stop for tonight. And he can see his son is fuming. So he says, you upset? <laughs> I 
And my uncle says, well, Dad, all my friends got together. You want the hard hands going. And he said, it's not their inheritance. That's why you're working. It's not their inheritance. It is your inheritance. You're my son. That's why you stayed. Later, my, um, too early for that. Later, <laughs> uh, my uncle obviously grew up, worked, kept working alongside his father in harvest time. And if you know harvest time, you, don't, you have a small window. Harvest time doesn't last forever. That's what my grandfather understood that my, my uncle, as a kid, didn't understand. He didn't have the heart of a man yet, a, a grown son. Later on, my uncle graduated from high school, went to college, ended up going to Vietnam. Um, and at the end of his Vietnam service, my grandpa had a heart attack. And he was laid up in his bed. Oh, my word. Stop, stop, stop. He's laid up in the bed. And so my, oh, this really is going to be unhelpful. My uncle comes home because it's harvest time and my grandpa can't move. And so he'd get up before the sun and he'd work after the sunset because he knew they had to get the harvest in. And my grandpa never had to say, are you getting up? Did you set your alarm? <laughs> Did you work late enough? Because if you have the heart of a son, a grown, mature son, your father no longer has to tell you those things because you have the father's heart. He doesn't have to say, go work. It's not an obligation. It's not like, a, oh, I guess I should. I've got the heart of my father. I don't even need an alarm. <laughs> I'm going to work until it's done. Because I've understood this is our inheritance. Okay, if you'll keep that story in your mind, I want to talk just very quickly. The heart of the Father is, he loves us, right? Clearly he loves us. But his heart is beating for those who don't know him yet. That's the priority. That's the priority. So how do we develop the heart of mature son and daughter? We don't want to be the teenage son and daughter who's like... God, why does everything hard happen to me, right? My life's so hard, God, living in the first world. <laughs> we want to have the hearts of mature sons and daughters who understand how trustworthy our father is. I can walk through hard things with him because he's proven himself trustworthy, right? I can trust that he's good. And I'd be in the thick of something, but I know he's good. And he'll give me, okay, you got, you got. We want the heart of grown sons and daughters. Number one, if you want the heart of a grown son and daughter that can partner with him to see the harvest come home, people come to know Jesus, the first thing is you've got to die to rescue mentality. You have to die to rescue mentality. And you have to embrace perseverance. Every hard thing happens and we're like, God, can you deliver me? Can you take me out of it? Can you rescue me? Now listen, there's nothing wrong praying, God rescue me. As long as your heart is set on saying, but I'm making it to the end with you if that's what happens. Right? The three Hebrew children, our kids did this skit a couple weeks ago, right? The three Hebrew children, what did they say to Nebuchadnezzar? Listen, you can throw us in that furnace and our God, he can rescue us from it. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. Right? So I can pray for rescue. Why not? 
Come on, if you're in the thick of it, you're like, God, is this one where you rescue me? Because <laughs> that's what I'm voting for in this one, right? That's fine. As long as my heart is set on perseverance. You know what I'm saying? We've got to get out of the rescue mentality. That's his job is to rescue us from everything. If you have a baby and they're learning how to walk, you don't constantly put them on their feet for them and lead them against a couch. You watch them struggle to get to their feet, right? Because you realize that they're trying to figure out how do I stand? And they've got to figure that out. You can't rescue them from that process. They get frustrated, they fall, they cry. You still have to let them figure out how to get on their feet, right? And when they take one step forward, you take pictures of it and you're excited and you're like, one step, my word. No, as a parent, you're like, yes, one step. They took their first step. I'm gonna put it on Facebook like everybody cares, but they don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, first step. And that's what the Father is for us. We feel like we're constantly failing. Man, if we're trying, he's pleased. You know what I'm saying? We're trying a step, we never step. He's pleased. We have to go to the rescue mentality. This is hard, so rescue me. That's the only thing that can happen here is I get rescued. There are times that God rescues us from situations. There are times that he stops things that were on their way to us and we don't even know he rescued us. And then there are times where he's like, listen, hold on tight because you and me are going to walk all the way through this one. And it's the hard things you've got to walk all the way through with him where you learn his heart. Every day at 5 p.m., my grandpa could have said, now listen, Mike, when this farm is yours, you got to keep working until the harvest is done. That's what I'm going to do, but you go play every night. He would have not have learned how to be a farmer who could actually make it and not go under if his father had never said, tonight you're staying. You've got to start feeling what it feels like to get to the end of this because it creates strength in you. Are you with me? You're going to be in circumstances where it is hard. You don't get rescued. You are the rescue party. <laughs> I'm just going to say that again. We need to begin to realize we're the rescue party here in this fallen world. We are the rescue party. So if our mentality is constantly like delivering me from hard things, we don't understand well, we, I've said this before, but we don't understand he's not just there to calm our storms. He commissions us into other people's storms. And if you've never had to weather a storm with him, you are never going to walk into somebody else's storm and bring peace. It's not going to happen because you'll want your life to be easy in every step. And it's not going to be. Not if you're going to walk with him and not if you're not going to waste your life. That's just Reality. We have to die to a rescue mentality and begin to have the mentality of grown sons and daughters of God. Redeemed image bearers of God who understand we are ministers of reconciliation. The only reason we're still here is to bring people with us. If the goal was just to get us to heaven, you would have gotten caught up the minute you confessed Jesus as Lord. But you're still here. <laughs> you're still here. Because we're the rescue party. Jesus gave his church one mission. Go and make disciples. Teaching them everything I've commanded you. And know I will be with you to the end of the age. I'm with you. We're doing it together. This is our mission. We can do hard things. We can do hard things. And we learn that. 
when we walk all the way through difficulty with our Father. Second thing you've got to do, if you're going to have the heart of a grown son and daughter of God, you've got to set your mind on things above. <laughs> you've got to set your mind on things that are eternal or you'll get swept up in every difficult situation. What are you living for? What are you investing your energies in? What's your heart beating for? If it's just temporal stuff, number one, you're going to get bored with life and make dumb decisions. Um, those people who ruined their family financially at age 45 or 50 because they had to have that Corvette they never got when they were 16. Come on. Or throw their family overboard so they can feel younger, find a younger model, which evidently um, Hollywood's telling us women get to do that now too. Mitch, did you know that? We can, we can, <laughs> we can throw our same age husbands overboard and date 25-year-olds. Hollywood's given us the green light so we can feel young again. I'm telling you, if you live for lesser things, when you've spent 20 years making money and you realize you're still hollow, that's when you make really stupid decisions. When you spend your whole life wanting to be appreciated and loved and whatever, and you find out 20 years from now you can't get everyone to love you, that's when you make really stupid decisions with your life. Right? Because all of that's hollow and empty. Set your mind on things above. What is God doing in the world today? What's his agenda? What's he focused on? What does he want to build in your life? Because the things that he builds in your life will be eternal. People can't tear down what he builds, right? So we have three sons. We're going to raise our sons. But what we invest in them in terms of the kingdom, nobody can tear that down. We can give them a set of values based on human wisdom. And there's a lot of voices that are going to come and challenge that. But what we give them that's kingdom they're going to have the Holy Spirit their entire lives reinforcing that. We have ruined our children for sin. We raised them in church. We've ruined you. Right? You, can go, you can go sin. It will never be as fun as it is for your friends who don't know Jesus. Never. <laughs> You're ruined for it. Why? Because you've been made sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when he's convicting the whole world of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment, and when you're being stupid, you are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're hearing that, this is really dumb. This is really bad. Things are not going to go well. Nobody can rob my children of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in that way. Because we seeded it into them. It's an eternal thing. Are you, are you with me? The things in your life you do that are eternal. And listen, anything in your life can become something God's partnering with you in, you're partnering with him in, and eternal, you change your perspective. If you're going to work just to make a paycheck, well, it's not a bad thing. You've got to pay your bills. But what if you change your perspective and say, God, what's eternal here? What if I look at my finances in an eternal view? What do you want to do with my finances? What if I look at my job and those people that are there as what you're doing in your kingdom? This is the city you sent me out to. Like he sent out the 72. Your job, your neighborhood, where you shop, those are the cities God's sending you out to as his 72. If you begin to look at it that way, all of a sudden eternal things begin to happen in those places.
And let me tell you, when you partner with God in what he's doing, nobody can thwart his plans. You begin to lose all your control issues. Because if you're just working your plan, you've got to try to manage all the pieces around you. When you start working God's plan, you're like, you know what? No one can thwart your plan. I can rest. I can be at peace. Colossians 3 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What are the things you care most about? What are you investing your life in? If it's just earthly things, it may not even be bad things, but if they're just earthly things, your life will be hollow and you're going to walk through difficulty and the storm is going to be a real storm because you haven't set your heart on where you're heading and you can live your whole life in a storm that way, right? When you set your mind on things above, you've got a direction point you're heading towards and you will walk through storms. How are you doing? really quiet today. So the heart of the Father is for salvation. We talked about last week, when it comes to salvation, the wind blows where it wants to blow, right? Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus and says, hey, I think maybe you're the guy. I'm paraphrasing. I think maybe you're the guy. Um, and Jesus says, well, listen, if you want to really know God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, how can a grown man go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus says there's two kinds of birth. Water, a woman, right? And then of the Spirit. And you must be born again to be saved. And then he says the Spirit blows where it wants to blow. You can, it's like the wind. You can hear it, but you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going. So this is, uh, and so it is with the person being born again. You can get all kinds of information about God and have no heart change. You can sit in church your whole life. You can even get goosebumps when they sing certain worship songs. But you've never made Christ Lord of your life. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never repented of your sins and said, my life is yours. I am dying to myself and now living to you. It's no longer the I that lives, but Christ lives in me. You are Lord, I am not. You can sit your whole life in church and never do that. But after all the information you get about God, there's a day where boom, it comes to life. There are these moments where you're like, oh my goodness, he's so real. <laughs> or, you feel, or you may feel just a conviction of your sin like, oh my goodness, my sin is actually a really big deal. This has to get dealt with. I'm a mess. <laughs> Maybe I've always justified everything and all of a sudden in this moment I can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and my sin and I and you, you all of a sudden are like, I need to throw myself on the mercy of God. How many of you had those moments where like God becomes real and you knew a lot about him, but now, oh my word, it's not just like head knowledge. Your spirit is being called to come alive and you've got to make a choice in those moments. Even after you're saved, how many of you have had times or seasons like you're serving God, you're saved, and then all of a sudden something in scripture will become so real to you, you're kind of like, was I even saved before? Because this is so sweet. Like how many of you have had those experiences where something else becomes so new that you're like, how was I not living in this revelation before? And it's not that you weren't saved before, but it almost feels like that. Like was I even saved? Because this is so 
transforming. So we're going to partner with God. The fields are right for harvest. So here's what we're looking for. And on Wednesday nights right now, we're doing a class on hearing God's voice. So if you want to get better at it, you can, we can practice together. Six o'clock on Wednesdays. But here's what you're looking for as we leave this place. Where's the wind blowing? That's where the harvest is ripened, where the wind's blowing. Where's the wind blowing? And you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit. You begin to listen for cues and you think, man, I think this is a moment where I can share something. And let me tell you, the more storms that you've not been rescued from but you've had to walk through, those are the things that are going to come out of you in those moments. Those are the things that are going to come out of you because you're going to say things like, I've been there. Here's what God showed me. I was right where you were at. I thought there was no hope. And here's, here's what happened. Some of you have had to walk through seasons where you've had to face your own sin and that was the season you were in. How many of you have been there? You had to like face the effects of stupid things that you did. And you've had to see how serious your sin is. Here's the gift in those seasons. It's terrible because you're probably facing it because you've hurt people. That's why we end up facing our sins because we see hurt, right? But here's the gift in those seasons. Both you and the person who's forgiving you, if they're a believer, both of you are gaining like a very supernatural insight into sin and why repentance is so crucial, right? Because until you really get how awful my sin is, I don't really feel a great need for repentance, right? Once you get, my sin's a big deal, all of a sudden, you value repentance and salvation in a way you never did before. And so some of you are going to walk through stuff with people where they're basically facing the effects of their sin, but they don't know Jesus. And here's what you get to bring them. I know how horrified you are at yourself. <laughs> and this is why this is such good news. Let me tell you. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, no one's going to raise their hand for that one, but you know what I'm saying. You actually get why it's good news when you've had to face your own sin. It's good news that he didn't, he's not going to leave you in that if you'll throw yourself in his mercy. And you have that as a gift to give that person because you had to walk all the way through the storm. You didn't get rescued from it. So we're looking, if we're going to partner with God, where's the wind blowing? Where's the wind blowing? Here's some practical things I want to give you to look for. Because I want to equip us to be and make disciples. Here's so there's one thing I want to equip you with. Here's some signs you look for. Where the wind is blowing, where the harvest is ripe. Before somebody's saved, they may have tons of curiosity about God. Curiosity about spiritual things. And they might even be looking everywhere but Christianity. But it's often a good sign that this person's heart is hungry. And you can step in there. And you can reveal the glory of God to them curiosity. Now, sometimes we're put off by it because they're spouting a bunch of crazy stuff about Buddha and whatever. So we'll be like, oh, they're so far from God. They're seeking. They're searching. Reveal the glory of God. Reveal the glory of God. They're curious. They're searching. Their heart is open. So share the gospel and see if the wind doesn't blow in that place. Sometimes people are really nasty, right, as, as they're 
close as the wind begins to blow over their lives because they're being convicted of their sin and their need for a savior. And so they're irritable and they're mean <laughs> because what's yucky is becoming super real. What's broken and their need for a savior is becoming very real. And so they're mean and they're irritable and they're mean to you and you bring up Jesus and they punch you in the face. You know what I'm saying? They look like they're going to, they probably don't, right? But they're like, shut. How many of you have people who are like, shut it, don't even. But you, can, but you feel the Holy Spirit all over the situation. People who have irritation and anger toward the things of God. I hate Christianity. I hate blah, 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 blah. Listen, people who, there's people who spend their whole life writing articles to undermine Christianity and angry. They go on talk shows, make jokes about it, write books about the Christian delusion. Listen, that's a person I'm not sure is that far from the kingdom, honestly. Um, I think they're, because honestly, I don't spend my life writing books about unicorns. They don't exist. Why would I spend my life on it? <laughs> you know, like, you're going to spend your whole life on Christianity which you don't think is real? I don't know. I think maybe there's more. We think that person's so far from God. I don't know. I think maybe they're just really, really irritated. I think he's a stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And they've rejected him so far. And so they're, but that doesn't mean they'll keep rejecting him. Come on. Come on. We need to have some pluck about us. You know what I'm saying? Like, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Sometimes people, when they're being drawn to God, they'll be like, I love God. They'll come in church and be like, the present, this is, I can feel God, this is so good. We're like, oh, they must be saved. No, lead them. There are people whose hearts are just ready. Like the jailer who said to Peter, like, what must I do to be saved? Oh, you're still here, you didn't run away? What must I do to be saved? There are people who are just, they're like, oh, they, your stories are like, oh, that's so beautiful. Jesus, that's really cool. They have no idea how to be saved. I love Becky Reibel's story of getting saved because she went to Chi Alpha, a Christian group on campus, for like how many months? Four or five months. And she's a good girl, right? She wasn't drinking, she wasn't doing bad stuff, and she enjoyed the music, and oh, this is what we do, we lift our hands. She's doing all the Christian stuff. She didn't know how to be saved. And like four or five months into it, she goes forward, someone finally gave an altar call. She goes forward, and everyone's like, what? She's like, yeah, I wasn't saved. <laughs> But she was open to the things of God. Come on. What else are you looking for? Where's the wind blowing? Sometimes people will come into church and they'll just, they'll be like, these are nice people, I'll stay. And they become part of the tribe. Right? Because they're like, they're nice and oh, they don't swear, so I guess I'll stop swearing. And so there's even like some life change happening, but it's all external. Um, and so we shouldn't make the assumption. We want to make sure that everyone has come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, not just become a better citizen because they're coming to church and hanging out with Christian people. And then sometimes people, when they begin to respond, they can feel God drawing them. They haven't got saved yet, but they start doing a lot of good works. I've had people come with me to do evangelism who aren't saved yet. And they are actually walking people through the Romans' road of salvation they have not gotten saved yet. But they're being drawn, right? And they're like, oh, cool, yeah. These scriptures are cool. I'll tell this person they've not actually, they've not actually made Jesus Lord yet. 
They haven't actually repented of their sins and said, he's Lord, I'm not. They've come to a point of believing it's true. What does Romans 10, 9 say? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So you come to a point of believing, but James tells us even the demons believe and tremble, right? Now, once you believe, you have a choice to make. Do I remain Lord of my life or will he be Lord? There's a surrender that happens. We get saved by surrendering. We believe and then we surrender to him. We repent of our sins. Repentance literally means to change your mind. It's connected all through scripture to sin, so the bad things we've done, but I'm, cha- I'm making a directional change in how I think and what I do, not because I want to be a good citizen, but because I w- it's his way. He's Lord now. And whatever he says goes. I don't care if the culture agrees or not. I don't care if my neighbor agrees or not. His way and not my way. And how many of you know there's a big difference between belief and lordship? Because I can believe it's all true. But lordship is me bowing my knee and humbling myself. And how many of you know that's hard to do? Even after we're saved, there are seasons where we could have freedom if we would just humble ourselves and we resist it. I have never experienced that personally. I, I've heard people in counseling say things like that. No, come on. Come on. And afterwards we'll think, why did I just humble myself? What was I, why did I have my back up to him about that? Just humble myself and throw myself on his mercy. How do you stay saved? By doing a bunch of good things? No, you stay saved by surrendering. You get saved by surrendering and you stay saved by surrendering. Right? I don't have enough strength in myself to do it right. It is Christ who lives in me. I surrender to him. Okay, so these are things we're looking for. Where's the wind blowing? Where's the wind blowing around you? If you stop and ask him even now, I bet there are people who will come to mind where you feel like, man, I think, I think they're close to the kingdom. I think God's at work. I think God's at work in that. And then ask him, what's my role in that? Because people aren't projects, right? It might look different for every person, but God, what's my role in that? He might put on your heart to share something that he's done for you. He might put on your heart to share testimony. There's times he puts my heart to share testimonies that aren't even mine. I'm like, someone gave this testimony at church and I want to tell you about it. It's not even my testimony. But it's a really cool testimony. I think it's for the moment. Right? So how do you, okay, here's where I think God's moving. Now ask him, God, what do I do in this? Maybe it's a family member, a neighbor, but you feel like, man, God, I believe that God is saying the harvest is ripe here. And my heart is that this one should not perish. There are people he will bring to mind, even today, who you don't like. You don't like them. You'd rather not mess with them. You stay as far away as you can from them. And he's going to put his finger on them and say, this one, this one, I'm willing that this one should not perish. Would you partner with me in it? Would you partner with me? And then sometimes the wind comes because we plowed. You know, we're looking for where the wind is blowing, but sometimes the wind starts blowing because we plow that field. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, Jesus talked about farming a lot. 
and he talks about sowing seed. And here's the cool thing about agriculture there. So here in America, you put your plow to the fields, and once you have those rows dug out, you put the seed, and then you cover up the seed. But many times, in the New Testament agricultural practices, um, workers would go out in the field, and they would throw seed. And throwing the seed was a signal for the other workers to come and plow it under. Sometimes, God just says right here, and you're like, I don't think the wind is blowing. I don't sense <laughs> this person seems, I don't think the wind is blowing. But you just feel like God's put your finger on that. And you're throwing seed into their life. You sharing Jesus with them is what calls the plow and calls the wind into their life. I love um, Amber, one of her stories, a guy that she keeps meeting around <laughs> Jackson. She went, to, she thought, I think it was in Myers. I think it was Myers first. She went to go pray for him and he was like, Mrrr. he let her, I think he let you pray, didn't he, the first time? Yeah. That's just the first time. But the next time she saw him, his heart was a little softer. And now when he sees her, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like I'm gonna, I'm, there's this is hard ground. But God is saying, just throw some seed and I'll send the wind. Come on. Now she could have gotten, she could have been like, I missed it. <sighs> this guy, I thought he'd get healed or something. And he's a staunch atheist. I must have missed it. That's how we, that's how we think. When really, so often, people's response is not your indication of what God is doing. We just faithfully, we just faithfully catch what he's doing and partner with him. Okay. I need to stop there. But I want you to be thinking now, if you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I think I believe, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again. Have I made him Lord? Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation to say, you're Lord. I repent of my sins. I throw myself on your mercy. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. John Wesley famously said, you have one business on earth to save souls. That's the one mission he gave us. I don't know about you, when I stand before him, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be a petulant teenager who was mad, right? Life was hard. You didn't rescue me from 20 things. You didn't let me go to A&W at five. I want to stand before him as a mature daughter, redeemed image bearer of God, who brings before him harvest. <laughs> this is what we did together. I have brought you your inheritance. Jesus, receive your reward. That's why I want to stand before him with, not out of obligation, not out of pressure, but out of relationship. I was listening for your voice. I was looking for what you were doing, Father, and I was partnering with you. And on the back end of that, our capacity for him has increased. Because listen, if you're a parent, the kid who's listening to your voice, you're going to invest more in. I'm sorry, that's going to happen. The kids who actually listen to you and ask for your advice, that's who's going to get more advice, <laughs> right? When we say, Father, we're listening for you. Our hearts are in obedience toward you. Guess whose heart increases and capacity increases to host the presence of God? Us. Us. Would you stand? Worship team, come on up. If you're visiting with us today, we like to leave time at the end of the service for worship. So we have time to respond to the word. How many of you know 
We don't just need to stack more information about God on top of the information we already have. We should do something with it. Amen? We should do something with it. So we're Pentecostal, so that's fortunate because we don't mind moving around. So, uh, so here's how we respond to the word. We respond in worship. Worship to God. But we also have prayer team. Prayer team, if you come on up, there's people who are on this side and this side who can pray with you. There's folks in back in that alcove and in back by the welcome sign who can pray for you. If God is stirring up something in you today, don't just sit on it and leave. When he's stirring things up, the wind is blowing on you. Say it out loud. Partner with someone in prayer. You can also pray with any believer in the house. We believe that every single believer has the kingdom without measure. So you could pray with someone near you. But if he's stirring something up in you, maybe he's giving you a picture of a person or he's put someone on your heart. Maybe there's other things that got stirred up in your heart and your mind. Would you partner with someone and pray? Maybe you need healing in your body. We see healing in the house. Come and get healing. Maybe there's other needs you have you need prayer for. But let's take a chance now. Yeah? Let's not leave how we came. Let's be more conformed to his image. Let's open our hearts and say, Father, what do you want to do? Our hearts are open. We're surrendered. Do what you want to do. Let's take time as we worship and respond to listen to his voice. Amen? the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life Oh, he is my song. Let's sing it again. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life oh he is my song because you are good you're good oh you are good you're good oh you are good you're good good you're good oh let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song sing it out you are good you're good oh you are good you're good oh you are good you're good oh you are good 
feel freedom in the house. Um, all of this up here is not just a performance for you to um, be like, yeah, they, they're awesome today, you know. Um, music in the Bible is said to proclaim songs to our Lord, our Father, um, with instruments. And um, that's why we're up here. <laughs> uh, the Word says to do that. And um, so I, what I want for you guys is to have an encounter with God. Um, so that's what this is all about. Um, a couple weeks ago, it was like, it's not enough to just come to a Sunday and do the Sunday thing and then come to the next Sunday and do the Sunday thing. Like, um, otherwise, kind of what is this life? You know, that's kind of, that's wasted. So um, what we need is an encounter with God, and that's why we're here. And so um, I just want to let you know our God, he's a pursuer. He's a pursuer. He loves you, and he wants to meet with you. Um, and he's good. Um, all these worship songs that we sing, if, if you're wondering, why do we do this? What is this whole worship thing about? Um, the worship that we sing is scripture. It's truth. 
and um, the word tells us to renew our minds and this is where it all starts so as we sing I just want you to feel like there's just like this rushing just just truth just pouring out over you um, I want you to know that you're the righteousness of God um, that's how he sees you no matter what you've done um, when you when you surrender to him Jesus and his his sacrifice for you just covers you just covers you in his love and his righteousness and um, you're his glory <laughs> And so that's truth, and that's what it takes to renew the mind. So as we sing, um, I just want you to just feel that, just truth pouring over you. And um, I want you to know that he's going to encounter you today. Amen. 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 Oh, we're going to sing that you are good. You are good. You're good. Oh, because you are good. You're good. Come on, sing it out. Oh, cause you are good. You're good. Oh, you're never gonna let me go. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. Come on, sing it out. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. Oh no. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, cause you are good, you're good. Oh, cause you are good, you're good. Oh, cause you are good. You're good, oh, cause you are good, you're good, oh, cause you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good. You're good, oh, and you are good, you're good, oh, yeah, thank you, Father, thank you, Jesus, we just lift up your own words, your own worship, we just thank him, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're good, Jesus, you're good. Oh, you're covering us, you're covering us in your righteousness. Thank you, Father, thank you, Father. We can trust you, we can trust you, God. We surrender to your ways, we surrender to your ways. Have your way, have your way. You give you are love. You bring life to the darkness. You give hope, you restore.
your breath is your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you So 
pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Oh, come on, sing it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, you only. Great are you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We sing great. Jesus, we sing great are you,
presence of God is good. Amen. Amen. There's still time to get prayer. There's folks available for prayer in back, I think, still in here in front if you need prayer. We're going to continue to worship, but I know if you need to go, I want to pray with you, pray together. For those of you who are believers, you put your faith in Jesus. Come on. Now we leave this building, and he's sending us out. (laughs) And there's some wolves, (laughs) and there's some spiritual realities that resist right you carry the presence of God there are things that resist you but he will be with us always (laughs) even to the end and nobody can thwart his work so we need to be encouraged we need to be encouraged (laughs) no one can stop what he's doing even when you face opposition look in scripture when they were most opposed the gospel spread faster right right? Come on. Come on. Come on. No one's excluded. If you're a believer, he's with you. He's with you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you go in power, right? There should be a joyfulness in the sowing. And no one's disqualified. If you're a believer, no one's disqualified. Say to the person next to you, no one's disqualified. Well, You know, you probably came with them. So turn to the person behind you and say, no one's disqualified. (laughs) If he sent out Judas, (laughs) if he sent out Judas with the power to heal, tell me, what's your story that disqualifies you? Come on, come on, know who you are in him. You know, you're not the teenager throwing his hat and angry. You're a redeemed image bearer of God, son, daughter of God, who is powerful. He is raising you up mighty. Take courage. (laughs) Take courage where he's sending you, wherever that is, your neighborhood, your school, your work, but wherever it is, wherever your feet go when you leave this place, it isn't an accident. Your steps have been ordered to the Lord. Be courageous. Don't let your light be hidden. Host his presence well. He has given you his kingdom without measure. If you're a believer and you put your faith in him, he has given you his kingdom without measure. Let it out. (laughs) Let it out. Let it out. He's good. Well, let's pray together and we'll continue to worship. If you've got to go encourage somebody before you do, If you want prayer, come get prayer. We can continue in his presence. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. He's good. He's good.